0: It's great to be here again, and I'd like to add my welcome. And uh, it's great to see some faces out there I haven't seen before. So, to you, a special welcome. It's great to have you here. And uh, my name is Grant Ship, and I have over, I'm trying to work out, must be 11 months now, been working through the book of Romans. And so, once a month, it's my privilege to come and preach on the book of Romans, and we're up to chapter 11. Um, I won't go back and do a revision of the entire previous 10 chapters, uh, for that will take too long. However, we will do a little bit of a revision so that we understand the context in which we find ourselves today. Um, Chapter 11 really builds upon um, chapters 9 and 10. And in fact, a lot of commentators and a lot of uh, biblical experts actually lump those three chapters together and they look at them as a whole. Uh, For what we've been doing, we've broken them down uh, and looked at it chapter by chapter. However, if we go back and pick up the essence that we find in each of the previous two chapters, that'll give us a good grounding as we look at chapter 11 today. But if we go back to chapter 9, we looked at the question, has God's word taken no effect? Really, what they were asking is, can we trust God? If God promises something, can we in fact trust him that the promise that he gave will be fulfilled and will it come to fruition? The reason this question was asked was because Paul was preempting a question from the Jews, given what he had raised in the previous couple of chapters about how the Gentiles. And for those of you who don't understand, Gentiles are anyone who is not a Jew. So if you don't have a Jewish heritage, you are a Gentile. And so Paul was talking about how the Gentiles, how people like you and me of non, I assume you have non-Jewish descent, people like myself, let's just leave it at that, who have non, no Jewish uh, descent, I'm not of Jewish descent, um, but was how they are coming to salvation. And the Je- Jews were asking, so how is it that the Gentiles are being saved, that they did not pursue righteousness but have obtained this righteousness. But Israel, the Jews who have been trying to obtain righteousness all this time, have not. Why is that? And Paul answers, because they did not seek it by faith. It is by faith that righteousness in Jesus Christ comes. It is by faith that righteousness comes. And they did not seek it by faith. And yet the Gentiles now in Jesus Christ are doing that. And so salvation has come to them. Chapter 10 builds upon this and talks about how if you want to achieve righteousness through the law, um, you have to try and fulfill the law and continually work in the law day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. There is no respite. And if you fail once, then there is no righteousness. Because to be righteous in the law, you have to fulfill it completely, which is what Jesus Christ did in his life, fulfilling on the cross. And he gave us, when we place our faith in him, he then gave us his righteousness. And so that is how we can say, and I can stand here with assurance and say, you and I in Jesus Christ are the most righteous people who have ever walked the face of the earth. Because it is his righteousness given to us in the transaction when we believe in faith. And so Paul is actually saying, yes, we can trust God. And in fact, it can be summarized by Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, where it says, let us hold faith to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And it is here that we find ourselves as we move into chapter 11. To a group of people, are there any people with Jewish, who are of Jewish heritage no so we are a people uh, of gentiles non-jewish descendants a people who by faith not of themselves have entered the kingdom of god through the grace of jesus christ not because we are better than anyone else or done something special but because we have heard the gospel and responded by faith and because we have responded by faith And believed unto righteousness and confessed our faith unto salvation, salvation has come to us. And it is imperative that we remember this as we move into chapter 11. That it is by faith, not because we're anything special, we're not better than anyone else. It is merely by faith that we have found salvation. And as we look at chapter 11, um, that will become exceedingly obvious why we need to remember that. But before we move into chapter 11, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came and fulfilled the law and said, believe in me and you will have my righteousness. Believe in me and you will have salvation. Believe in me and I will be with you and for you always. Father, it is with that truth that we stand. It is with that truth that we are thankful for the life of Jesus Christ. May the words that are spoken this day as we look at chapter 11 be words that bring peace and hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get into it. Romans 11 verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? As we look at this, we need to understand here, Paul is referring to the term his people as the Jewish nation, as the nation of Israel or as Jews. So Paul is saying, or asking the question, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I, I being Paul, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul is making his case that he is a Jew. And so God cannot have completely cast out all Jews. And in fact, if we look at the early church, the early church, the headquarters of the early church was in the capital of Israel, was in Jerusalem. If we look at the fathers or the founders of the early church, it was made up predominantly or solely initially of Jews. And so the church birthed out of Jewish heritage and it was Jews that were the original leaders. And so when people are saying and when he asks the question, has God cast away his people He can say, certainly not, because I am a Jew, because the other leaders of the church originally were Jews. And he carries on with verse two. He says, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew, again, talking about the Jews. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left and they seek my life. Here we have a passage of scripture we don't often look at. One of the great prophets of the Old Testament is actually speaking against his very people before the Lord. And he's saying, Lord, your people, your chosen ones, the Jews, they have come and they've torn down and they've walked away from you. And in fact, anyone who is faithful, they have completely and utterly destroyed. They have killed them. I come against you. I'm against them because they are against your people. They are against the faithful ones. And Elijah here comes out of fear and trembling because he knows, if you read it in context, back looking at um, what he says, he's saying, I'm next. They're going to come for me. So come against your people. And yet the very next verse says, but what does the divine response say? I love that. What does the divine response say? What does the one whom has greater wisdom than us say? What does the Lord say? What does he who we cannot comprehend fully say? This word divine, it's such a holistic. It is an elevate it elevates God to a position above our comprehension and above our understanding. We can never understand completely what he is doing. But what does the divine response say to him? He says I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. He says, you do not know everything. He goes, I have a remnant. I have a people that I have saved and they are still for me. You think that they, the Jews who have walked away from me have destroyed everyone and you're the only one left? You do not understand. There is a remnant that I have saved. And in actuality, from this, we get a theology of the remnant. That there is always a faithful people. There is always a remnant of people who stay strong in the Lord. There is always a faithful people. Doesn't matter how bad things look and how it looks like everyone has walked away and everyone has forgotten. There is always the remnant. There is always a people who are there. uh, A people who are responding to Yahweh. A people who are faithful. And he says, the divine response is you do not understand completely because I have a remnant. And in the same way, Paul is saying it is true in in his day. It is true today that there is a remnant. It looks like the gospel is going out to the Gentile nations and the Jews have been forgotten. But there are a faithful remnant of Jews who believe according to grace. There are a remnant like Paul himself, which is why he made the point about himself earlier, being of Jewish heritage. And understand grace and salvation have come upon them. And you can almost hear Paul saying, and if that was all, if it was just a remnant, you know, if God had cast off everyone else, and if it was just a remnant that remained faithful, that God's promises were flowing to then that would be enough. God would still be faithful for his promises would not have been broken because it was always by faith that the promises were to be received. And so if it was only a remnant of Jews that remained, that would still mean that God was faithful. But as we'll see, it's not the big the entire story. And if we continue to move forward in... um. We look at it verse five. It says, so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace, but it is of works. It is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. We have explored that Paul has expounded the concept and the differentiation of works versus grace up to now. And in that one verse, it absolutely and utterly destroys the concept of mixing the covenants. We cannot mix the covenants because the covenant of works, of doing it yourself, cannot be mixed here with grace because if it is, it is not grace. And if works is mixed with grace and it's part grace, then it's not works. And so you cannot mix the covenants here. And Paul is making it very clear. It is by grace and it is under the covenant of grace that we stand. And it is under the covenant of grace. And Romans is all about exploring and expounding that covenant. Verse 7. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it was written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. Again, talking about the Israelites. And David said... In Psalms, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. Verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Have they stumbled that they should fall? The question that Paul is asking here is the Jews. Have they turned away from God one too many times? And has God cast them away? Has God, is God done with them? And it's an important question for us today. You know, unless you're perfect like me, no, sorry. um, Unless you're perfect, you know, and you stumble, how many times can you stumble before God casts you away? So it is a very personal question, isn't it, that Paul is asking. Have they stumbled one too many times that they should fall. Has God, in fact, completely cast them away? Have they gone too far? They rejected their Savior. Has God finally, once and for all, cast out the Jewish people? Has he finished with them? That's the question, other than the faithful few, other than the remnant. Has God, once and for all, done away with them? Even the Old Pes- old Testament passages that paul refers to looks as though that's what it's saying that they're a stumbling block that they've been cast away and we'll come back to them in a minute in fact many through the church age have actually come to this conclusion and believe that this statement is in fact true many throughout the church age have believed that god has cast the jews away and has done with them away with them And it has its name. Uh, There's many different names of that theology, but the main name is replacement theology. And replacement theology is a theology that in fact says the Jews have rejected their Messiah and so God has once and for all rejected them. And he has turned his attention away from them being his people to the church now being his people. And the church replaces Israel. So wherever you see Israel in the Bible, now read the church. In fact, it goes on. This replacement theology actually says wherever in Scripture you see Israel being mentioned and the promises to Israel, those promises, because God has rejected Israel, those promises now flow to the church. And so wherever you see promises to Israel, they now go to the church. But... Wherever you see judgment to come upon Israel because of unfaithful actions, well, those judgments stay with. It's a nice, nice theology, isn't it? Those judgments can stay there, but we'll take their blessings. That, that is effectively what replacement theology is. However, Paul further on warns us against becoming arrogant towards the Jews because it is by faith that we are grafted into the Messiah. And salvation has come to us not because we are better, not because we've done anything special, but just by faith we have been grafted into the Messiah. This replacement theology is actually a dangerous theology. It's a dangerous theology uh, for many reasons. However, This theology has gained prominence in the church throughout history. And every time this theology, which comes up under different names, uh, takes preeminence in the church and rises up in the church, we actually see despicable things start to happen to the Jewish people. And the casing point is actually with the Nazis. Replacement theology was rife within the church And it was because of the the replacement theology that God has done away with those people. He has nothing more for those people. They are not his people anymore. It was from that line of thinking that the final solution actually was birthed. And it was from that line of thinking, that theology, which actually empowered, allowed for, I'm not saying the church did it, but allowed the destruction um, of the Jews and the murder of millions of Jews. It is a very dangerous theology because if we in the church are not and do not stand up for the Jewish people, then who will? And it is important that we do not allow that to make it um, back into the church. However, today, if we look at the world today, we are seeing a rise of anti-Semitism again. We are seeing in the Middle East like never before, the call for the destruction of the Jews. We have nations in the Middle East who are calling for the complete destruction of Israel. We, uh, other examples is that the UN, a petition has gone to the United Nations, which specifies that Israel does not have a historical tie to Jerusalem. Can you believe that? Despite all of the evidence, despite all of the history, a petition has made it to the United Nations to say Israel does not have a historical tie to Jerusalem. Why are they trying to make this? Because they want Israel out of the Middle East. They want the Jews out. The world is continuing to push for a divided Israel, to divide it into two states. Again, why are they doing that? To try and weaken Israel so that they can ultimately bring about its destruction. Anti-Semitism is on the rise in the world and it is important that as a church we do not allow that replacement theology to take hold of it within the church again. So let's see what Paul says as we continue on with this line of thinking. I say then, have they stumbled? Has God cast them out? Is he finally done with them? Verse 11, certainly not. Not. Certainly not. God is not finished with the Jewish people. He says, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Salvation has come to you and I to provoke them that they may see the Messiah. It is through their blindness that we have been blessed. We have been come to the salvation. We have received this grace to provoke them to jealousy. Why? Because God has a plan and a future and we'll explore that a little bit more. In fact, let's move to flick down to Romans chapter 11, verse 25. It says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Paul is not talking remnant theology here. Paul is talking about all Israel being saved. God is not done away with the Jewish nation. God is going to bring a restoration to them. And then he quotes a passage from the Old Testament. And he says, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And here we see that Paul is saying, all Israel is going to be saved. And he quotes this passage of scripture that doesn't really reaffirm his point. And he's actually kind of confusing. And it's confusing for us because we go, what's the point here? However, if we go back to Jewish thinking and Jewish teaching there was a teaching method where they would learn poetry, songs, and scriptures, um, and they would know it by rote. And when someone recited the first line of it, then it would bring back the words and the meaning, and they could go off and they could recite the rest of the song or the psalm or the poem or scripture. And that's what Paul is doing here. In the same way, if I say to you, The first verse of something, see if it brings back, recalls to your attention. Australians all let us rejoice. We are young and free, free, our national anthem. And you could go off and I'm sure you could sing the rest of the song. Another one, if I recite our heavenly Father who art in heaven. You know, it's the Lord's Prayer and you could go off and you could recite the rest of it. In the same way, that is what Paul is doing here. In fact, another one, when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In doing so, he is actually reciting the first line of Psalm 22. And in doing so, when he does that, and we'll look at Psalm 22 just quickly, because this is an important concept. Psalm 22. In doing so, Jesus is bringing to mind those who were there. Jesus is bringing to mind those who will later recall. Jesus is bringing to mind those who will read the scripture, this psalm, Psalm 22. And why is that psalm important? Because when those who heard it, when the people recalled it, that that is what he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? it would recall Psalm 22. And that's a psalm that points to the coming Messiah. It was a prophetic psalm. And in fact, for time, we'll just look at four verses. So Psalm 22, verse 14 through to 18, it says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet, and I counted all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and my clothing they cast lots. What Jesus is doing by reciting is he's putting himself into Psalm 22. And he's actually saying, go back and recall Psalm 22. For I am he, I am the one with whom that psalm was prophesying about. I am the Messiah. You have rejected me. I have been put to the cross, but I am the Messiah. I am the one you're waiting for. Come to me and have salvation. See how important it is for them that Jesus actually recalls to their mind. And in the same way, Paul is doing the same thing when he quotes. And he's quoting here actually from Isaiah chapter 59. And in fact, it's important to remember that the verses and chapters were actually put in later. The verses and chapters in the Bible were put in around the time of the printing press. So they're not necessarily inspired and and they're good and they're helpful. However, sometimes they kind of distract us from what's going on. Because what Paul quotes really links better with, with Isaiah 60. And what he is calling to mind again is he's quoting the beginning of what we would call Isaiah 60. And the reason he's calling that to mind is, and we'll read just a portion of it, It says, Isaiah 60 verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Risen upon who? The nation of Israel. Risen upon the Jewish people. Arise and shine, for the Lord has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. This actually, and I won't give the reasons or the justification, and you'll just have to believe me due to time. This is actually linking it with the day of the Lord. This is actually linking it with the last days. This is a future event for us. Okay, And we can go back and you can read Isaiah 11 again, which also paints a picture of what it's going to be like in the last days. So there's this deep darkness over the people. But the Lord will arise over you, who the Jewish people, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles will come to your light and the kings to your bright to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. He's saying the light is going to be over the nation of Israel and Jews from all over the world will flood back to it. Those of Jewish heritage will flood back. They will stream back to the nation of Israel. He's saying, because I am going, my light is going to arise from them. And it continues on. Just looking for time. I won't read the rest of it, but it talks about the nations which are going to bring riches as a sacrifice and give them to the Jewish nation. And it lists them out and it's interesting to explore which nations they are. And it talks about how the sons of those who afflicted you will actually come and bow down to you and serve you. And it's talking about how this nation of Israel is going to rise up and a light, the light of God is going to shine through them and it's going to radiate throughout the whole world and the Gentile nations, even those who have sought its destruction, will come and bring sacrifices and bring its wealth to them because they realize that Israel is God's chosen people. You see, Paul asks the question and he says, has God cast them off? And he says, certainly not. All Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. And even up in Romans 11 verses 9 and 10 where he quotes some other Old Testament passages where it looks like God has cast them away. If, again, if you read them in context and go back and read it, it's followed by a promise. But restoration will come in fullness. Can we trust our God to fulfill his promises Absolutely we can. God has promised these things to the Jewish nation and it will be blow your mind. And in fact, Paul even challenges us to try and imagine what it will look like when the Jewish nation is restored. And it's almost, we can't. It is that good. And I want to leave us with one thing. I'm, I'm cutting it short. We're not even looking at the olive tree, we're not looking at how we've been grafted in, how we were once wild olive tree, trees, but God, through his goodness, has grafted us in. But I want to look at Romans 11, verse 15, and I want to leave us with this. For if they're being cast away, they being the Jewish nation, for if they're being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? You see, the Jewish nations, because they were cast, the Jewish nation, when they were cast away, it brought salvation to the Gentiles. God used that so that salvation could flood the entire world so that you and I could sit here and worship him. And if they're casting away, brought life to us, gave us salvation, what he's saying will their acceptance of their Messiah be but life from the dead? Life from the dead. This speaks of such abundance, absolute fullness of life, life real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, a life blessed, such blessing as has not been seen before. If you were so blessed in their turning away, Paul is saying, imagine if you can and you cannot what the blessing will be when the Jewish people turn to their Messiah and when his light shines from them. And through them, he says, the glory, the abundance, the blessing, the grace, the goodness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When they turn, what a glorious day that will be. Rejoice and long to see it. And there's an encouragement in this for us. He's saying, don't be arrogant about your prideful standing because you've been grafted in, they've been cast out because God is going to bring them in. And when God brings them in, such blessing will flood the earth. And in so, there's an encouragement for us to pray for the Jewish people. There's an encouragement that their eyes will be opened and that they will soon call out for their Messiah. And it's starting to happen. We're starting to see the trickle of Jewish people people of Jewish heritage, come to a faith. Pray that that trickle will turn into a steady stream and that steady stream will turn into a flood and that flood will be a blessing for all the earth. Pray for redemption for the nation of Israel, for their sake, for your sake, for the sake of the entire world. For when they turn to their Messiah The promise is that the Messiah himself, the Savior, will come and rule on the throne of David in Jerusalem and all the world will be blessed. Pray and pray evermore as the day is coming for the Jewish people that they will return to their Messiah. Between now and then there will be much suffering for them and for Christians, but continue to pray so that the blessing that God wants to lavish upon the world, upon his people, upon you, may come to fruition. For if they're being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God, We thank you that you are a God that when you promise, we can a 100% have assurance that that promise will come to fruition. Father, we pray right now for, for the nation of Israel. We pray right now for Jewish people. Father, that their blindness will fall away, that their eyes will be opened to you, to their Messiah. To the one that was pierced through his hands and feet on a cross. But the one who rose again and the one who lives today and the one that wants to come and give blessing to his people, the Jews. May they return to you and so be blessed. But Lord, we know also that between now and then, that you will continue to be with us and we will see your glory We will see the fulfillment of your promises, which will give us hope and encouragement. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.